This is the Morning Rush. Coming up on today's show, the regular season is over in college hoops. Let the madness begin. Yeah. Maryland and West Virginia. Sources of madness over the weekend after a couple of head-scratching losses. In the 8 o'clock hour, we will hear from Hampshire boys basketball coach Danny Alkire. There are some guarantees in life. Death, taxes, and Tom Wilson getting suspended. All that and more coming up in the next two hours of the morning rush. Good Monday morning to you. How the heck are you? Glad to have you on board. So glad you could take some time to tune in and hang out as we kick off yet another essential work day and another essential work week. Several ways to get involved, as always. Hit me up on Twitter at ESPN Morning Rush at Rush Tony C. Either one works. Also, our Facebook page at Cumberland's ESPN Radio. At any time, feel free to drop me a line. Got a question, comment, an opinion? Check out all those pages. Also, give us a call. Rush line is open. 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance. Shamo. 301-759-2628. And of course, our podcast page on the free Podbean app where we upload every show every day, minus commercials, just for you. So, all right, a lot of stuff to get to today. A lot of college hoops talk today as the conference tournaments are in full swing. But first, uh, let's kick off the show as we kick off every single show with a rock around the region. I want to rock! And we start with college basketball where Maryland, what are you doing? Far wing, driving to his right thread. Near wing, three, Lundy, got it! Four-point Indy Lion lead with 32 seconds to play! Can't do it much better than that, Steve. The hottest man in, in Maryland. He's got 30. His second 30-point game of the year. The call on Learfield IMG College, 31 points for Seth Lundy as Penn State rallied from 16 down at halftime to upset the Terps in College Park, 66-61. Aaron Wiggins had 15 points and 10 boards. Eric Ayala had 14 points for the Terps who will start play in the Big Ten tournament on Thursday. On the ice Sunday, the Capitals clip the Flyers. And that's going to turn into a little bit of pushing and shoving. The play continues as Jensen will step in. He shoots, and he scores! Nick Jensen has scored for Washington! It is 3-1 Capitals! John Walton, the call on the Capitals radio network, 3-1 the final As Washington won for the fifth time in the last six games, Alex Ovechkin scored his eighth of the season for the Caps, who played without Tom Wilson, and we'll get to that uh, later on in the show. Elsewhere, the Penguins continued their dominance at home against the Rangers. Here's 71 for the Penguins, working out Pittsburgh up the ice. It's Kapanen in the attacking zone, has Malkin with him, cross-ice feet. Malkin shoots, he scores! Penguins four, 
Rangers won. Gino Machino adds to the Pittsburgh lead. The call on the Penguins Radio Network 5 won the final as the Pens improved to 10-2 and at PPG Paints Arena. John Marino, Kasperi Kapanen, and Sidney Crosby all scored in a span of 61 seconds after the Pens fell behind 1-0 in the first period. In Major League Baseball, spring training action from Sunday. Speaking of Pittsburgh, the Pirates hammered the Orioles 13-1. Dustin Fowler had a three-run double. Kevin Newman drove in two runs for the Bucks. The Nationals were off Sunday, but were still busy. They released reliever Jeremy Jeffress for unspecified, quote-unquote, personnel reasons. Less than two weeks after signing Jeffress to a minor league deal. Last season, he was pretty good. He went 4-1 with a 1.54 ERA in eight saves. And, I'm sorry, and eight saves in ten chances uh, last year for the Cubs. But uh, he's no longer a national. Again, for what they call personnel reasons. And tonight, high school basketball. On the girls' side, Kaiser is hosting Union. Frankfurt is hosting Martinsburg. Lewis County is at Preston, and Hampshire hits the road to take on Washington. In boys' action this evening, Tucker County is hosting Lewis County. East Hardy is at Moorfield, and in Romney, Hampshire is hosting Kaiser. And again, we'll hear from Hampshire head coach Danny Alkire uh, next hour as he jumped on with our sister station, 100.1 The Wolf, uh, last week. And that is your loaded Rock Around the Region brought to you by the Caporale Group. And I tell you about that Penguins game last night. And I missed it when it happened because I was downstairs in the dungeon uh, breaking down film. They scored three goals in 61 seconds. And remember, (laughs) we talked about this last week. When they scored three goals in 71 seconds against the Flyers, and they blew the game. They lost that game 4-3, a game where my son was like, they're going to lose this game, and they did. Because they scored those three goals in 71 seconds in the first period. There was a lot of game left, and they lost the game. Last night was just deja vu. My son comes home from, uh, where was he? Oh, youth group. And I'm downstairs. He says, hey, he says, you see what the Pens did? I'm like, no. He goes, they scored three goals in 61 seconds. I was like, are you serious? Again? I mean, think about that for a second. Last week, three goals in 71 seconds. Yesterday, three goals in 61 seconds. Both in the first period. I'm thinking, well, are they going to blow this one? The answer was no. And my son did not predict uh, that they would blow it. So there you go. <laughs> that's what you call some quick That's some quick strike offense right there. When you can bang out three goals in a minute, that's amazing. And the Pens, after they lost that Flyers game, I was pretty hard on them because I called them soft, especially in front of their own net. They they played better. And the Rangers went into yesterday's game. They had won three in a row. So they beat a pretty decent or a red-hot Rangers team yesterday. And the Caps, like I said, they're playing red-hot. They, they've won five of their last six. It's going to be a, It's going to be fun. If you're a hockey fan, 
if you're not, bear with me. It's going to be fun down the stretch, especially in that East Division. Because it seems like they they switch spots constantly. You know, uh, one day the Capitals are in first place. And the next day the Islanders are in first place. And the next day the Bruins are in first place. Then at the same time, the Flyers and Penguins are tied for fourth. Or, I'm sorry, third. Then the Bruins and the Penguins are tied for third. Then the Caps, you know, it's just, it's constant movement because they're all playing each other. Right now, as it stands, the Islanders are back in first place with 34 points. The Caps are two points back of them. And then the Bruins and the Penguins are tied with 29 points each. They're tied for third. Then you have the Flyers with 27. Now, the good news for the Pens, and this will all change here in the next few weeks, they have yet to play a single game against the Devils or the Sabres. They still have eight games against each of those teams, and those are the bottom two teams in the East. Devils only have 18 points. The Sabres only have 15. They've only won six games all season. So the Pens are tied for third with Boston with 29 points, and they have yet to play. They still have 16 games left against the bottom feeders of the division. So that's good news for the Penguins. When's uh when's our next Capitals game? Is that is that tomorrow? I'm trying to consult the bones here. Yeah, it's tomorrow. And we'll have that game right here. And we'll talk about the Caps one player in particular who I've I've just had enough of. Tom Wilson uh later in the show. But we're going to start or at least move on. I guess we started with hockey, right? We'll move on to college hoops. Regular season wrapped up yesterday. Some conference tournaments already started. One was actually concluded on Saturday. But we had a few more teams punch their tickets to the big dance yesterday. A top-seeded Winthrop. It's not Winthorpe. As a lot of people pronounce it, it's Winthrop. They cruised to the Big South Championship yesterday with an 80-52 win over Campbell. The Eagles, 23-1 this season. That's impressive. I know it's the Big South Conference, but whatever. 23-1 is still 23-1. It'll be their fifth trip to the Big Dance and first since 2017. Elsewhere. Liberty! The A-Sun three-peat is complete. The Liberty Flames reign atop the A-Sun continues as they win their third straight conference tournament title and punches the Flames' sixth trip to the NCAA tournament. Allen, I think it's a dynasty. I think it's complete now. The call on the Liberty Flames Sports Network, Liberty, won the Atlantic Sun title, as you heard him say, third straight year. They beat North Alabama 79-75. Uh, Flames are 22-5 and overall. Now, technically, Liberty clinched the tournament title in the semifinals, right? They beat Stetson in the semis 77-64. Why? Because North Alabama is not eligible for the NCAA tournament. So, really, in that title game yesterday, North Alabama had nothing to lose because even if they had won – they weren't going to the big tournament because they moved up to Division I in 2018. A program has to play at the D1 level 
for four years before being allowed to compete in the NCAA tournament. So even if Liberty lost yesterday, they were going dancing because North Alabama, not eligible. So that semifinal game was really the de facto championship game between Liberty and uh, Stetson. And then there's Loyola Chicago. They punched their ticket to the big dance with a uh, win over Drake, 75-65, in the Missouri Valley title game. The Ramblers are going dancing for the first time since 2018. Then on Saturday, Moorhead State was the first team this year to earn an automatic bid, winning the Ohio Valley Tournament 86-71 over uh, Belmont. The Eagles were the second seed. Belmont was the top seed in that conference tournament. This will be their first trip to the NCAAs since 2011. So right now, as it stands, we have four. We have four teams in the field of 68. Obviously, many more. Many more to be crowned. As a matter of fact, tonight, we have college hoops right here. At 645, the Southern Conference title game between top-seeded UNC Greensboro and the seven-seed Mercer. Mercer, Mercer, me, and the Bears. Upset numbers, uh, number two-seed Wofford earlier in the tournament last week. So uh, one of those two teams will be going dancing. So tune in tonight, 645, the SoCon title game, uh, UNC Greensboro and Mercer. How about that? Now, there were other games that were played yesterday, as, as we know, that uh, you know there may not have been automatic bids up for grabs, but there were teams still trying to make an impression on the uh, NCAA selection committee. The game is over. The game is over. Michigan State has just knocked off the second-ranked team in the country. Final score from East Lansing. Michigan State, 70. Michigan 64, and I got to tell you what, we are going to the NCAA tournament. The call on Learfield IMG College, uh, he might not be wrong. Two days after losing to rival Michigan, Michigan State beat rival Michigan. You heard the score, 70-64. to 64. The win moved Sparty to 15-11 and 11 overall, 9-11 and 11 in the Big Ten. It also gave them three wins over top five teams this season. Michigan yesterday, and then earlier wins over Illinois and Ohio State. Here's Sparty head coach Tom Izzo. I told my guys probably six games ago that, uh, you know, when we were looking at definitely playing four top five teams, I don't know if anybody's ever done that in the end of a conference season. And I said it'll be a memory making experience if you can do your job and uh, to win three out of four of those games with the schedule we had. um, I just think speaks a lot about the character of our guys. Uh, Assistant coaches did a hell of a job. Uh, We beat three really, really, really good teams and got beat by a really, really, really good team. I I think Illinois, Ohio State, Michigan all have a legitimate chance to be a final four team. So that win yesterday by Michigan State really pads the resume heading into tournament week. That win, combined with Maryland's terrible loss to Penn State, which we'll talk about next segment, has those teams tied for eighth 
in the final regular season standings in the Big Ten. Now, Terps do have the tiebreaker because they beat the Spartans head-to-head, which really means nothing. Well, I guess it does mean a little bit when you come to seeding because you never know who you'll play in the next round. So the Terps are the eight seed, Michigan State the nine seed, so they will play each other in the second round of the Big Ten tournament this Thursday. And that could be a game which, when you look at it, could be the difference between one team getting in to the NCAA tournament and one team being left out. Because both are just right there. I mean, they are right there on the edge. Not necessarily on the bubble, but they're just outside the bubble. Right? I don't know. Are you outside or inside? If you're not on the bubble in the tournament, are you in the bubble or are you out of the bubble? Like, if you're in the tournament, are you, I guess you're nowhere near the bubble. They're close to the bubble. Let's put it that way. And Joe Lunardi has both teams right now in the NCAA tournament. But if the selection committee kind of has both of those teams right there on the edge, could Thursday's game be the deciding factor between one getting in and one getting left out? And all of that because Maryland really blew it yesterday. And down the stretch. We'll talk about that next. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. A rush line is open, 301-759-2628. Talking last uh, segment, some college hoops. Uh, We have four teams who have punched their ticket to the big dance. We talked about Michigan State bolstering its case for a spot in the NCAA tournament by beating Michigan. Maryland did just the opposite yesterday. And I got to tell you, you do this long enough, or even if you just talk sports, whether it's like here on a show or, you know, barstool talk or whatever, you're going to be wrong about a lot of things, okay? And I'm here to tell you that I have to take back everything that I said about Maryland about a week and a half ago. I thought they had turned the corner. I thought they had wrapped up a spot in the NCAA tournament. And I got to take it all back. I even defended head coach Mark Turgeon. I said people were being too hard on him, right? I said he actually deserved Big Ten Coach of the Year consideration. When you look at the players that they lost from last season and how things started out this season, and I take it all back (laughs) because I don't know how you can play yourself off the bubble and seemingly have a firm grip on an NCAA tournament bid and then flush it by losing back-to-back games to Northwestern and Penn State. As a matter of fact, you got swept in the regular season by the Fighting Nittanys. Terps had a 16-point halftime lead yesterday. 
at home. They led by six with 250 to play. And they still blew the game. You blew it! Seth Lundy, Seth Lundy for Penn State, who scored a total of 30 points in his last seven games. Total. Had 31 yesterday. It's not like the Terps got beat down the stretch by Illinois and Ohio State, right? You could excuse that. They're two of the top teams in the entire country. You could understand that. But they lost the final two games of the regular season. When you were sitting there at 9-9 in the conference to Northwestern and Penn State, and when you do something like that, you deserve what you get. Now, look, Joe Lunardi still has Maryland in the field of 68. But he has them, they're dropping like a stone. Because last week, uh, Joey Brackets had the Terps as an eight seed. Then they lost to Northwestern. So he dropped them to a nine seed. Then they lost to Penn State. And now they're a 10 seed. And remember, these are just projections. And we use, you know, Lunardi's projections because he is, for the most part, as I've mentioned time and time again, he's pretty much dead on. He might miss a few teams here and there. But when you're trying to, you know, project 68 teams, you're bound to miss one or two along the way. So just because that he has Maryland in doesn't mean they're in. <laughs> the selection committee which will make its choices on you know on Sunday, less than a week from now, they might see things completely different when it comes to Maryland. Which is why losses to Penn State and Northwestern to wrap up the regular season are uh, not beneficial. Speaking of the committee, here is Mr. Lunardi on what to expect from the committee. Uh, next week when they pick the uh, tournament field? I think it's pretty normal. Uh, it's actually maybe a little less movement toward the top because, you know, there's always a point of separation after the really, really best teams. And this year it turns out that there appear to be four of them. And what do you know? There's four reasons. So the top line is pretty well set. Sometimes it's two, three, five, six, and there's, Intrigue over the very top. I, I, I think Illinois pretty much took care of that yesterday. Elsewhere, I, I actually feel like, given the uneven schedules, given, frankly, the uneven everything in this strangest of seasons, you know, there may be situations where uh, the conference tournaments are tiebreakers because, you know, if you're comparing teams that didn't play the same number of games or had an easier league schedule because of, cancellations and whatnot you know and here's two teams playing on a neutral court theoretically with everybody being zero and zero those games could mean more hmm so those games could mean more those tournament games could be possible tiebreakers 
You mean games like Maryland versus Michigan State in the Big Ten tournament? Games like that? Seriously, no. If if you're the NCAA committee and you're looking at a team like Maryland, you see the good wins against Wisconsin and Illinois and Purdue, but then you see there are one and two against Northwestern and Penn State. They split with Indiana, who tanked at the end of the season. They split with Rutgers. They're two games under 500 in conference play. Now, granted, it's a conference that's the best in the country. Big Ten is by far the best in the country, but you're still 9 and 11. Where you could have been 11 and 9 had you won your last two games of the season. When you look at all that, that first game in the Big Ten tournament may factor in. If the committee is you know sitting there trying to choose between Maryland and Michigan State, that could be the tiebreaker. They could look at that and go, all right, well, who won? They played each other in the quarterfinals. Who won? Michigan State? All right, they're in. Maryland's out. Or vice versa. Now, again, Lunardi has both of those teams in the tournament as of right now. But somebody has to lose on Thursday. One of those two teams are going to lose on Thursday. So they will be, although I don't know if they add it to the actual overall record, they'll be 9-12 and in the Big Ten. Is that good enough to get in? If you're the committee and you're looking at Michigan State, now look, Michigan State, they by far have much better wins than Maryland, Illinois, Ohio State, Michigan. Much better wins. Now, look, do I think that Maryland's going to miss the tournament? I, I don't think so. I think they're going to be a 10 or an 11 seed when it all you know all is said and done. But the point is, they really put themselves in a bad spot. All they had to do was really, after they beat Michigan State last week, all they really had to do was just win one of the last two. Beat Northwestern or beat Penn State, two of the four worst teams in your conference. That's all you had to do. And this wouldn't even be a debate right now because you, you'd be sitting there at 500 in the conference and you lost them both. So, as I said, you get what you deserve. You made things just a little bit more difficult. You... <laughs> Well, you put things in the committee's hands, and that's the last place you want your NCAA tournament fate, your hopes to be in the hands of the, of the committee. That's the last place you you got to take care of business on the floor. You have to, and Maryland did. Speaking of which, another mind-boggling loss over the weekend was West Virginia losing at home to Oklahoma State. Now, on the surface, you might think, eh, it's not such a big deal, right? I mean, Oklahoma State is the number 17 team in the country. They did have West Virginia by 19 at their place before blowing that lead earlier in the season. But here's the kicker. Oklahoma State didn't have their best player. Future NBA lottery pick, Cade Cunningham, he goes out 
with an ankle injury. He's averaging almost 20 points a game. Didn't play Saturday. Oklahoma State also didn't have starting guard Isaac Likely. He averages 10 points a game. He leads the team in rebounding and assists. With those two players out, West Virginia still gave up 85 points and lost by five. And when you consider what was on the line, all right, you have a game in your house. You have a game at home that if you win it, you lock up the number two seed in the Big 12 tournament. The team you're playing is missing two of its best players. One of those players very well could be not just the Big 12 player of the year, but the national player of the year. And you lose? That's when you consider all the circumstances and what was on the line, what could be gained with a victory, that's as bad a loss as you could have this late in the season. Because the Mountaineers went from being the two seed in the Big 12 tournament to the four seed because Texas beat TCU yesterday. So now Texas is the three seed, Kansas the two seed, of course Baylor the number one seed. Texas and West Virginia are actually tied for third, but the Longhorns get the tiebreaker on the strength of uh, they beat Kansas twice. So there's really no other way to slice it. That's a that's a bad, bad loss. And consider this. Saturday's game was the fifth this season where West Virginia scored at least 80 points and lost. They scored 82 against Gonzaga, lost. 80 against Florida, 90 against Oklahoma. That was double overtime game. 89 against Baylor, overtime game, and 80 on Saturday, and they lost all five. Head coach Bob Huggins, eh, he gave a uh, a pretty clear-cut uh, clear explanation uh, for what happened after Saturday's loss. I don't know how we scored 80 when our four guys that generally make shots didn't make any shots. We can't guard. I mean, I've told you guys that, you know, I and mean, I get crucified for telling the truth. But we we tried to play some matchup to kind of camouflage the fact that we can't guard. It would work for a while. And then everybody, of course, everybody watches film like we do. And so they work against the, the matchup. Remember those three words heading into the Big 12 tournament and then the NCAA tournament. We can't guard. That's how you score 80 points and lose five, you know, and lose five games when you score at least 80. And look, Huggins isn't the only one saying it because after Saturday's loss, Deuce McBride said, you know, stopping teams from driving to the basket is something they've struggled with all year. They've had problems with it all year long. And that they don't play good help defense. And, and McBride made a really good point. He said, hey, we're playing other Division I players. You're going to get beat. You're playing man-to-man, and you're playing other D1 talent. You're going to get beat off the dribble. That's where you rely on the help defense to guard the rim, and they just don't do it very well. (laughs) They just don't do it very well. 
And whenever you get into your conference tournament and you get into the big dance and you are facing some of these high-powered offenses that you're bound to face sooner or later, so remember, when you're trying to pick the games and you're trying to look at the Mountaineers' chances of advancing, remember those three words from Coach Huggins. We can't guard. All right, one last break. Back here, wrap up hour number one. Stick around. Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Usually during the break, I'll jump on Twitter just to see if I missed, you know, if anything, any kind of breaking news or whatever, you know, has dropped. So as I'm scrolling through, out of nowhere, I see a video of Terry Bradshaw singing. Not exactly sure where. I retweeted it if you want to check it out at ESPN Morning Rush. All it says is the soothing sounds of Terry Bradshaw on a Sunday night. Now, I don't know. <laughs> I can't read the back. It says Pop Goes the Something. I don't know what the show is. I can't read the other words. But there's Terry Bradshaw just singing. Then they pan to another shot with these four background singers that look I don't even know how to explain it. They're all wearing these red, and I do mean red, suits, red pants, red shirt. They look like a deranged hillbilly bowling team. And I can't hear it because the sound's off on my laptop, but it's hilarious to look at. So check it out. I retweeted it at ESPN Morning Rush. Oh, I wish I could hear it. I wish it, it has to be joyous to hear the dulcet tones of Terry Bradshaw. Anyway, uh, we are talking about West Virginia last uh, segment, losing that game to Oklahoma State. A costly loss at that. Because if they win the game, then they move past Kansas for the number two seed in the Big 12 tournament. But they lost. So exactly how costly was it? Instead of getting that number two seed and facing the winner of the Oklahoma-Iowa State game, the Mountaineers dropped to the four seed, where they had to play Oklahoma State again on Thursday. This time, the Cowboys probably will have Cade Cunningham and Isaac Likely both back in the lineup. And if West Virginia couldn't beat him Saturday without those two, kind of like the Cowboys' chances with them. And even if the Mountaineers get by Oklahoma State, and this is where falling in the tournament seedings hurt you a little bit, if they get by Oklahoma State, guess who's waiting in the next round? Barring some major upset. That's right, Baylor. So by dropping from the second to the fourth seed, you know, if they would have stayed number two, they would have avoided Baylor all the way until the Big 12 title game. But now they're the four seed if 
And that's a big if right now, given what we saw on Saturday. If they get by the Cowboys, then they have Baylor. Their road got a little bit, actually got a lot bit tougher by losing that game on Saturday. Joe Lunardi, by the way, uh, not as tough on the Mountaineers as I am after that loss. He still has uh, he still has him as a number three seed in the NCAA tournament in Region 4, which includes Illinois as the one seed, Alabama the two seed, <laughs> and guess who's the four seed? Oklahoma State. <laughs> Those two are going to be tied. They're going to be joined at the hip for, for the, old, the entire season. The entire season. Breaking it down before we go to break here, real quick, if I can find it. Looking at Joey Brackett's uh, latest projections after this past weekend as we roll into tournament week. The last four buys he gave to Michigan State, Louisville, Georgia Tech, and VCU. The last four in, according to Lenardi's projections, Colorado State, who they've been there for a month now, Boise State, Drake, and Xavier. Drake, I do believe, lost their best player to injury. So I don't know how much that's going to factor in to the selection committee. I don't know if he's coming back. I don't know if he, you know, he's out for the rest of the season. Remember way back in the day when uh, Cincinnati, when Huggins was still there, and they were the best team in the country, and then Kenyon Martin broke his leg? Remember that? And they went from a one seed to a two seed. I wonder if the committee will look at Drake this kind of the same way with, the, with their injured star. Lunardi's first four out. Utah State, Syracuse, St. Louis, Seton Hall. His next four out. Memphis, SMU, Ole Miss, and St. John's. You notice none of those teams right there are named Duke. Duke is done. They had a chance. They're finished. They lost to Georgia Tech. They got blown out by Carolina on Saturday night. They're not making a tournament. I would be shocked if they did. So in the first four, that that that, that what they call the first round, I guess they're calling it the first four now. He has a couple 16 seeds playing Prairie View and NCANT, Boise State playing Xavier. Nickel State and Hartford, Hartford, the the Whalers, and then Colorado State and Drake. The number one seeds are easy. They got to be set in stone. You can pretty much take this to the bank. Gonzaga is going to be your top overall seed. Baylor is probably going to be your number two, number one seed. You know what I'm talking about. Then Michigan and then Illinois. Those, Those are virtual locks to be number one seeds in a tournament. Second seeds, it's debatable, but right now uh, Lunardi has Alabama, Houston, Iowa, and Ohio State. So that's crazy when you think about it. If this plays out the way Lunardi thinks it will, he has four Big Ten teams in the top eight. Because he has Illinois and Michigan on the top line and Ohio State and Iowa on the two line. Well, they're, they're their best conference in the country. Why not? Three seeds, he has West Virginia, Arkansas, Villanova, and Texas. And then on the four line, he has Purdue, another Big Ten team, Virginia, 
Kansas, and Oklahoma State. So Joey Brackett's a whole lot of love when you look at the top 16 seeds in his projections, whole lot of love going to the Big Ten and the Big 12. And rightfully so. Again, the two best conferences in the country this year, bar none, hands down, Big 12 and the Big Ten. Um, well, in, not in that order. Because I think there is a wide gap overall top to bottom between the Big Ten and the Big 12. Top of the Big 12, Baylor, they can go with anybody. They can beat anybody in the Big Ten. But then you have Kansas at second spot. Eh, I mean, Kansas is good. Don't get me wrong. Texas is good. West Virginia is good. But you look at the top four of the Big 12 and the top four of the Big Ten, I don't think it's a contest. Big Ten, by far, better this year. So we'll see how it plays out. We'll see how it plays out. I mean, this is this is where we, the madness begins, right? This is tournament week, and then we'll all be sitting around Sunday evening, 6 o'clock. The selection committee, I mean, how, how cool is that? How, how much fun is that? Every It never gets old for me. Never gets old. When they when, when they reveal the brackets and they reveal you know the top seeds and they fill to sixty four and sixty eight whatever it is these days, it's just so much fun because then we get to sit here all of next week and talk about those teams and talk about the tournament. It's March Madness, baby! Come on! All right, hour number one in the books. Hour number two around the corner, doing push ups. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. One more time today, let's uh, rock around the region. I want to rock right now. And we start with college basketball. Talk about it last hour. Talk about it again. Maryland, what are you doing? Far wing, driving to his right thread. Near wing, three, Lundy, got it! Four-point Indy Lion lead with 32 seconds to play. Can't do it much better than that, Steve. The hottest man in, in Maryland. He's got 30. His second 30-point game of the year. The call on Learfield IMG College, 31 points for Seth Lundy as Penn State rallied from 16 down at the half to beat the Terps in College Park 66-61. Aaron Wiggins had 15 points and 10 rebounds. Eric Ayala had 14 points for the Terps, who will start play as the number eight seed in the Big Ten tournament on Thursday. On the ice Sunday, the Capitals clip the Flyers. And that's going to turn into a little bit of pushing and shoving. The play continues as Jensen will step in. He shoots and he scores! Nick Jensen has scored for Washington. It is 3-1 Capitals. John Walton, the call on the Capitals radio network. 3-1 was the final as Washington won for the fifth time in the last six games. Alex Ovechkin scored his eighth of the season for the Caps who played without Tom Wilson, which we'll talk about later on this hour. Elsewhere, the Penguins continue their dominance at home against the Rangers. Here's 71 for the Penguins, working out Pittsburgh up the ice. It's Kapanen in the attacking zone, has Malkin with him, cross-ice feed. Malkin shoots, he scores! Penguins 4, Rangers 1, Gino Machino adds to the Pittsburgh lead. The call on the Penguins radio network 5 won the final as the Pens improved to 10-2. and two. At PPG Paints Arena this season, John Marino, Kasperi Kapanen, and Sidney Crosby all scored 
in a span of 61 seconds after the Pens fell behind 1-0 in the first period. In Major League Baseball spring training action from Sunday, Pirates hammered the Orioles 13-1. Dustin Fowler had a three-run double. Kevin Newman drove in two runs for the Bucks. The Nationals were off Sunday, but they were still busy. They released reliever Jeremy Jeffress for unspecified quote-unquote personnel reasons less than two weeks after signing him to a minor league deal. Well, Jeffress went 4-1, and one. it's pretty good, with a 1.54 ERA, pretty good, eight saves and ten chances last season, pretty good, with the Cubs. But for whatever reason, didn't work out with Washington. So again, he is cut loose for what they say, personnel reasons. And tonight in high school basketball, on the girls' side, Kaiser is hosting Union. Frankfurt is hosting Martinsburg. Lewis County is at Preston, and Hampshire hits the road to take on Washington. In boys' action this evening, Tucker County is hosting Lewis County. East Hardy is at Moorfield. And in Romney, Hampshire is hosting Kaiser. Speaking of which, last week, if you missed it, last Friday, uh, we heard from Hampshire girls coach Julianne Buckley. Now we're going to hear from boys coach Danny Alkire because my main man Brian Chase over over and down the hall from me on our sister station 100.1 The Wolf, he is, oh, they're big in Hampshire, right? They cover all the Hampshire sports. So Brian, who shared his audio with uh, Coach Buckley last week, again, good enough to share his audio with Coach Alkire. So here is Brian Chase from 100.1 The Wolf with Hampshire boys basketball coach Danny Alkire. Ladies and gentlemen, we have Hampshire boys basketball coach Danny Alkire, I believe in his third year as head coach. We'll find out in just a moment. Coach, how are you doing today? Doing well, Brian. Thank you. Is that right? Is your third year? Does that sound right? Yes, sir. Third year. A couple years ago, uh, you took over a program that had lost a lot of games. Last year, a record of 9-12 and 12 and great improvements during last year. Each year, you're kind of doing a little building block thing, improvements being made every year. How, how do things look for this year? The kids have expectations. They're high. We've been, for the last couple of years, we've been young and we've been building up. And I told them, you all have been building for the last couple of years to get to this moment. And I think it'll be a good year. Talking to Hampshire boys basketball coach Danny Alkire. Coach, last year I saw you guys playing some fast-paced games and also some grind-amount games. I think uh, a game I remember specifically was against Jefferson. It was a real defensive struggle. What kind of style do you think suits your team the best? We've been working on patience year in and year out. I mean, even if you are a fast-paced team, you've got to have some patience. You can't take bad shots. That'll really hurt you, but... I hope we are a fast-paced running team. Uh, we look to get out and score. We have a lot of guards returning. We like to play man-to-man, so hopefully uh, the tenacity we've been trying to incorporate into the team over the last couple of years really comes through this year. We're just, like you said, grind things out and have a little grit behind us. Coach, there's always that player that is kind of the leader, the uh, the most vocal person on the floor. Who Who is that for your team this year? It's a good question. That We have... I want to say there was multiple kids on the, and the good thing is we have six seniors this year and those, the seniors, they're all a, a close group of friends. They all communicate well with each other. I can't say there was one that sticks out the most over all of them. I will say 
Drew Keckley, Carter, Trevor, I mean, Christian, all of them, they're in it together. They all are open with each other. They're they are critiquing each other. They're holding each other accountable. Alex Hot, the, uh, the junior who uh, stepped in late in the season, played point guard. He also played quarterback here. So, I mean, that's one position quarterback slash point guard uh, is usually a coach on the court and uh, demands things of other kids. You might think I'm lying too, but I would say we have eight on the roster, varsity, and all eight of them are so close and hold each other accountable. Uh, I can't say one sticks out more than the other. Oh, no, I don't believe you're lying. I believe you're telling the You're a truthful guy. <laughs> Talking to Coach Danny Alkire. Coach, it's a it's a different time since I've seen you last year, and it's been over a year now. Yeah, the world has changed. Uh, COVID protocols. What kind of protocols do you have to take day in and day out? Because this, this is a rough deal for all athletics, obviously. Yeah, uh, we, we do temperature checks. They have a little questionnaire they fill out every day before practice. We, we wear a mask in practice. I mean, when we're doing high aerobic ex, uh, exercises, we... We have the mask down so we can breathe a little better on sprint. We've been making them keep the mask up the whole time, even through drills. Uh, and the kids aren't complaining. The pre-practice stuff that we're, we're taking care of every day, wearing the mask during practice. We're not providing water. They have to bring their own water. There's a lot of things put in place to, to protect the kids and the coaches and everyone involved. You know it's worth it. Uh, talking to Coach Danny Alkire. Now, Coach, a lot of games, it's a jumbled schedule. I think it's like 18 games in five weeks or something like that. How do you prevent injuries? Or do you do any minute management? Or is there anything crazy like that? It's a lot of games in a short amount of time. You don't want to do that. I don't want to have to do that. But as the time is, is moving forward and we see things, I mean, it'll probably be a case-by-case or game-by-game decision, but you're right. You, you do have to be aware of the minutes and the fatigue, and I think we have three games a week, and then one week we have four. It will be a grind-out season for the kids, and, I mean, depending on what the week looks like, there might be games where we hold some people out for some minutes in preparation for maybe a, another game. Attendance is very restricted this year because of COVID protocols. HampshireTrojans.com is a good place to start to keep up with the team. What's other ways people can keep up with the team if they can't attend the games? HampshireTrojans.com, you can get tickets for the game. It's obviously available ahead of time for parents and grandparents. And uh, there's a couple student tickets that will be held back for students in the county, not just the high school. 24 hours before the game on HampshireTrojans.com, you can purchase a general admission ticket. So 24 hours before the game, anyone can go get a ticket if there's any left. But if you can't do that, what you can do is National Federation of High School. We will have our home games aired live through the NFHS. And I'm not sure of the price, but you can pay a monthly subscription or you can actually do a yearly subscription and you will be able to catch all the home games, uh, JV and varsity, boys and girls, season long. If you, uh, if you can't make it or get a ticket, you can subscribe to that. We'll uh, try to check in with you and uh, Coach Julianne Buckley throughout the season to keep us updated with things. Coach Alkire, good luck this season, and you and your kids, please remain safe. Hey, Brian, I appreciate it. Same to you, and uh, hopefully I get to see you up here a couple times this year. I hope so. It, you know, the vaccine's out there. If I get vaccinated, who knows? We'll see, we'll see how it goes. Well, hey, I'll get you in personal Hampshire uh, – Hampshire basketball mask if you make it up here, all right? I got to get one of those masks. Yeah, I've been trying to bug I, Kevin for one. I got, I'll got, i get one. <laughs> I have one waiting on you. So there you go. Hampshire head coach, boys head coach, excuse me. Uh, Danny Alkire with Brian Chase on our sister station, uh, 100.1 The Wolf. Hampshire, this is actually their first game of the season. Uh, they're getting a, The boys are getting a late start. Most boys teams already have at least one game under their belt. 
Uh, so tonight is the uh, season opener at home against Kaiser. Kaiser is 0 and 1. Uh, they lost their season opener last Friday to Berkeley Springs, uh, 64 to 48. And you know the guys talked about the schedule. Every team's in the same boat. Nobody's different. Trying to cram a lot of games into a very short period of time. Just looking at the Hampshire schedule as that interview was being played. They got Kaiser tonight. Then uh, they are at Frankfurt on Thursday. And then they host Petersburg Saturday. Then are at Hedgesville Monday. Then are at Trinity three days after that. Then they host North Marion two days after that. That's six games in a span of, of less than two weeks. It's a lot of games, man, especially when you didn't have a whole lot of time. Get ready. A lot of teams were in the boat where they had to get their 14 practices in in 16, 17 days. So it's definitely going to be a grind, but, again, everybody's in the same boat. Everybody's going through the same thing. Everybody has the same amount of games, you would hope, barring, of course, postponements and whatnot, because you know why. So there's going to be a lot of action. And it's difficult for coaches. Right, because you don't want to burn the kids out, because they've already been force-fed a lot of stuff in practice, just to try to get ready for the start of the regular season. And of course, uh, you know we'll have hopefully scores on most of tonight's game uh, on tomorrow's show. Mentioned, uh, see, Kaiser, yeah, they're zero and one, and of course we mentioned after tonight, Hampshire goes to Frankfurt. Uh, they are 0 and 1. Uh, I say they, I mean, you know, we lost a, a tough game on Friday at Hedgesville, where Hampshire is going next week to take on the, the Eagles. Hedgesville, young team, but they're, they're pretty good. I got to tell you, they're pretty good. And I had thought that Frankfurt would have had an, uh, an advantage, an experience advantage. Because as we talked about last week, Hedgesville doesn't have a senior on the roster. Not a one. They graduated eight players from last year's team. And then there are a couple juniors who didn't come back for reasons that I don't know. So you look at Hedgesville's roster, they have two juniors, and then the rest sophomores and freshmen. But I tell you what, that's a good basketball team. They are athletic, they're long, they can shoot. Now, they're going to have trouble with some of the bigger teams down there. I, mean, I shouldn't say bigger because Hedgesville is a big school. Older teams. They're going, to, they're going to have trouble against Martinsburg, Musselman. They're going to have their issues. I tell you what, I don't. I wouldn't want to see them two years from now or even next year. I wouldn't want to see them when all those freshmen and sophomores are, are juniors and seniors. Woo! Then they will compete. Now, we talked about Hedgesville's team from last year when they were 20-5 and five and qualified for the state tournament. That's the kind of team they're going to have two years down the road. They're going to have a heck of a team. And, you know, it's, they're solid. And Frankfurt, you know, we didn't play that bad. I mean, score, we, we just couldn't score. I mean, final score, I came, it was, uh, we scored 28 points. 28 points. Because Hedgesville's defense was pretty good. They, they, they applied a lot of pressure. Uh, we weren't hitting shots. Score at the half was only 16-13. Only down by three, you're feeling pretty good. 
But then Hedgesville comes out, start the third quarter, and just hits, I think it was four threes. It's bang, 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 bang. And before you know it, you're down 15, 16 points. And uh, we just couldn't get any closer now. Just, it just, Hedgesville just kind of kept us, you know, at arm's length, if you will. But uh, it was a good opening, you know, good opening season test. Go on the road like that. And, uh, yeah, you bounce back from it, right? Frankfurt, uh, where are we at tomorrow? We're at Petersburg. Which tomorrow's game, if I'm being truthful, much more important than Friday's game because that's a section game. Obviously, you want to win. Obviously, you want to open the season with a victory. But in the grand scheme of things, Friday's game, eh, it's against a quad A school. You know, you didn't win. You learn from it. You learn from your mistakes. And you get ready for tomorrow's game, which, again, is far more important because it's a sectional game. And Petersburg will also be 0-1 because they lost to Moorfield on Friday. So there you go. A little high school recap for you. As we, so I want to get into this Tom Wilson thing now as we move on. I will say this, okay, because I'll, I'll save Tom Wilson. <laughs> I'll save Tom Wilson for the next segment. Let me tell you something. What happened to... Okay, when I've said on this show many, many times that I am not a small fella, right? Not a small fella at all. Since when did Triple XL shirts stop being Triple XL? That's what I wear. That's how big I am. I wear 3X shirts or 3XL, call it what you want. Back in the day, not too long ago, a 3X shirt used to be long. It used to, even a guy my size, it used to hang off me a little bit. Give me some breathing room. And when we were ordering coaches' shirts, I said, hey, give me a give me a 3X. Because, you know, those shirts don't come in four. <laughs> okay. I figure 3X is going to be enough. 3X is going to be big enough. It's, I mean, my goodness, it's, tri- it's triple X. I shouldn't say triple X. 3XL. <laughs> and then we get the shirt, and I put it on. And it looks like I, like I went shopping at Baby Gap. The, the thing is so tight. Since when did 3XL shirts become small? Like they, they, fit, they, they wear like 2XLs. You know what I mean? Has anybody else noticed this? What are they trying to do? Save on material? It, it, it's, it's almost criminal to label a shirt like that 3XL when... It, it's not. It, it can be. <laughs> I'm squeezing into this shirt, which, trust me, it hides nothing. It hides nothing. And then I get an email from downstairs over the weekend saying, hey, stop down and see us. We're taking shirt sizes for our company shirts. I don't want to do it. Because I know I'm going to get. I'm going to get a shirt that I can't wear. Now, is it my fault because I'm I'm big? Yeah, sure it is. But can somebody please make a 3XL shirt that actually wears like a 3XL? Because I'll be dang if I'm shopping for my clothes at the big and tall shop, okay? Because I only fit half that description, and it ain't the good one. All right? One thing I am not is tall. <laughs> so can we please go back? I don't care what the outlet is. I don't care if it's Nike, Adidas, Under Armour, uh, Puma, 
I don't even know. They, do they even make shirts, Puma? I don't know. Can we just go back to the old 3XL shirts so I feel a little bit comfortable on the bench? Is that too much to ask? Apparently, it's too much to ask for me to lose some weight, and this won't be an issue. And the kicker is, our coaches' shirts are Columbia blue. That's that's one of Frankfurt's colors. They're Columbia blue, solid Columbia blue. Like in the past, if they're like you know, like like the dark colors, like navy blue, black, they tend to be a little more slimming. They can hide things. The shirts are solid Columbia blue. I look like a giant robin's egg with legs. Just just picture that. Picture a robin's egg. Picture. Just a, a a big pastel blue giant overweight robin's egg wearing khakis. That that's that's me on the bench. Because companies just won't wear they just won't make three XL shirts like they used to. Can a brother get some more material in his shirts? Anyway. Time for a break. News, weather coming up. When we come back, I'll talk about a guy that I simply can't stand. Tom Wilson. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230. Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Before we move on, I must mention that Bishop Walsh, is playing in the Flying to the Hoop Top Gun Showcase in Dayton, Ohio. And yesterday, the Spartans scored a 62-49 victory over ISA Andrews Osborne. That's the International Sports Academy, Andrews Osborne Academy, which is in uh, actually in Willoughby, Ohio. And Ishmael Habib had 22 points for B-Dub. Jalen Miller had 16, and I do believe he eclipsed the 1,000-point mark in that game uh, yesterday. So congrats to the uh, Bishop Ball Spartans getting that win in the Flying to the Hoop Top Gun Showcase. Travis Roberts had eight. Look at the box score right now. Roberts had eight. Ryan Prather had six. Jordan Rayford, six. There you go. It's a two-day tournament. I assume they're playing today. I'll have to see if I can find the schedule and see who uh, the Spartans will take on today. Anyway, uh, hockey. All right, we talked. We were rocking around the region, but the Capitals getting a 3-1 win. Over who they play, the Flyers yesterday. And they did so without Tom Wilson. And there are three things that are pretty much a guarantee in life death, taxes, and Tom Wilson getting suspended for a dirty hit. Wilson was given a seven game suspension over the weekend after yet another cheap headshot. This time to Boston's Brandon Carlo uh, during their game last Friday night. Now, 
First, an update on Carlo. Uh, Bruins coach Bruce Cassidy said that Carlo was feeling better, but is still week to week and said he's going to be out for a while. As a matter of fact, Carlo had to be taken to the hospital by ambulance following Wilson's hit, which just another in a long line of dirty, malicious hits by Wilson. It was a blindside hit. Carlo never saw it coming. It was a direct hit to the head that smashed Carlo's head off the glass. Like I know we're a Capitals affiliate here. We play the Caps game right here on this very station. But the truth is what the truth is. And I would say this about a Penguin. I would say it about a Steeler, a Raven. And it doesn't matter what the sport or the player. Tom Wilson is one of the more despicable players I've ever seen put on an NHL sweater. He is a predatory player. Always has been, always will be. And you just know it's a matter of time before he takes a run at someone and tries to hurt them, tries to end their career. And I just don't know what else has to happen for the NHL and the player safety department to kick this guy out of the league for a very long This is his fifth suspension. Five for hits that were deemed unnecessary by the league, to put it politely. And he had been rather quiet for a while because he hadn't been suspended since 2018. So, you know, looking at two-plus seasons. But the truth of the matter is, a leopard never changes his spots. And with Wilson, it's only a matter of time whether it's three months between suspensions or three years. And what makes matters worse is when you have guys like head coach Peter Laviolette and Alex Ovechkin defending the hit, saying that uh, it was a good, clean hit, it was a hockey hit, that there wasn't even a penalty called on the play. It's different when you see something real time. You could see that hit real time, and, and I could see if you're Ovechkin and you're on the ice or you're on the bench, or if you're the head coach or who, if you're whoever, and you see it real time and you think, ah, that's a good, good hockey hit. That's a good, clean hockey hit. But then you look at the video. You look at the replay and you realize, no, it isn't. Because good, clean hockey hits usually don't take players away in an ambulance and force them to miss several games, usually. And the sad thing is, Wilson has genuine hockey skills. I mean, he's he's a good hockey player. But he's also a disgrace to the league. And to me, he here's a player who will never deserve the benefit of the doubt. Never. He's lost he's lost that luxury. He has lost that opportunity. Anytime, and I said this about him even before Friday's game, anytime he lays a hit on somebody, 
that even remotely looks questionable, he's never getting the benefit of the doubt. Because that's who he is. And I don't know what more this guy has to do to get a year suspension. Or a lifetime. What's he got to do? He's got to break somebody's neck? I'm, I'm being serious when I say that. Does he got to break a bone? Does he have to kill somebody on the ice? I mean, go look at it. You can look, you can find it anywhere. Go on Twitter or YouTube or wherever and just, or Google, you know, Wilson Carlo hit. And you tell me, look at the violent impact. Look at look at the way he does. And people will say, oh, well, he uh he he hit Carlo's shoulder first. Come on. Can, seriously? Again. He doesn't get the benefit of the doubt. I won't sit here and say, well, well, he made contact with the shoulder first, and then he tried to take his head off. So it's okay. You don't get that when you're Tom Wilson. I mean, how many how many times do you have to suspend someone before you realize that he's just a flat-out dirty hockey player? And he's a danger on the ice. I mean, how many times? Six, seven, eight? I mean, once might be an accident. Twice, you know, okay, maybe it happens. Three, four, five? You've literally suspended a player five times for dangerous hits. And you give him seven games. And believe me, I know all about it. Because as a Penguins fan, we used to have a guy by the name of Matt Cook, who played the exact same way. And I condemned him back then the way I'm condemning Wilson right now. Cook was so bad. If you don't follow hockey, Matt Cook was so bad. The league basically told him, clean up your act or we're kicking you out of the league. Because Cook played the same way. He was dirty. He was cheap. And the league pretty much said, do it again, and you're never, you're never playing this league again. After that, Cook never had another incident. And I just don't know what the hell the league is waiting for with Tom Wilson and why the league isn't telling him the same thing. If they don't pull him aside and say, you know what, one more time, one more time, and you'll never put on an NHL sweater for the rest of your life. What are they waiting for? In a league or in a time when not just the NHL, but every sport, all they talk about is, oh, we're concerned about the safety of the players. We put it in all these parameters. We put in all these protocols, not just with COVID, with anything. Concussion, you know, all CTE. We're so concerned about player safety and the after effects of concussions and the after effects of this. Oh, we're so worried about our players. And yet here's a guy in Tom Wilson taking a run at a guy's head and putting him out for probably several weeks with a concussion. And who knows what long-lasting effect that hit could have on Brandon Carlo. Who knows? You remember back in the day when Crosby got concussed? He missed the whole year. And that was an accident. 
And like I said, the shame of it is Tom Wilson's a good hockey player. He's got skill. But he's a guy, and I would say this if he was on the Penguins, if he was on the Winnipeg Jets, I say about it, I have zero respect for Tom Wilson, and I, I never will. I never will. Just look at the video and decide for yourself. He He's reckless. And when I see hits like that, I'm sorry, but he's a disgrace to the game. Because this isn't his first his first go around. This isn't his first illegal hit rodeo. Five suspensions. It speaks for itself. And, and you, to tell you the truth, some other hits that have gone down probably should have been more. And the one thing that I hope. And I mean this when I say this. I'm not, I'm not even trying to be overdramatic. I hope he doesn't kill someone before it's all said and done, before his career is over. And you know what? That'll be that that blood will be on the the NHL's hands for let, just throwing him out there. You you want to talk about player safety and being concerned about player safety, but yet you still let Tom Wilson roam free on the ice, taking runs at people. It's got to stop. And that doesn't go for Tom Wilson. It goes for anybody. Anybody who get, who puts on a pair of skates and goes out there. I'm being hard on Wilson now because, well, we've been down this road before, and it happened again. And he's going to serve a seven-game suspension, and he'll come back. And you know what? We just sit and we wait, and we hold our breath, and just wait for it to happen again. Because you know what? It's going to happen again. That's just who he is. He can't change it. That's just who he is. And it's unfortunate. All right, one last break, and then we'll come back to wrap things up. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. I told you earlier that Bishop Walsh uh, was playing in the uh, Fly Into the Hoop Top Gun Showcase in Dayton, Ohio. And yesterday they defeated ISA Andrews Osborne out of Willoughby, Ohio. Which, by the way, is not even close to Dayton, in case you're wondering. This evening, the Spartans are taking on a Hill or Hillcrest, he said in English, Hillcrest Prep out of Arizona. And Hillcrest is one of the top 25 teams in the country. They're led by a five-star recruit, Michael Foster, who is the number six-ranked senior in the entire country. They have three four-star prospects. They're all juniors. And then they have a three-star senior who is already committed to Arizona State. So there you go. That's what the Spartans are facing this evening at the Fly Into the Hoop Top Gun Showcase in Dayton. All right, before we get out of here, what do you say we uh, check out the player who delivered as soon as I can find the button there? Where's my cursor? My, you know what? This drives me crazy. The way the sun just beats down on these screens. Who the heck designed this studio? There we go. Let's check out the player who delivered, brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. How about this guy right here? Another three by Teague. He is now 10 of 11. 
Macy Oteague has tied the Baylor school record with 10 made threes on the day. He's got 33. The Bears lead it 80-62 to over the Red Raiders. The call on Learfield IMG College, Baylor's Macy Oteague. The senior guard dropped 35 points in the Bears' 88-73 win over Texas Tech. Baylor made 15 three-pointers in the game. Teague made 10 of them, which, as you heard in the clip, tied a school record. He was 10 of 12 from the on the arc as Baylor finished undefeated at home for the first time in 73 years. Baylor's Maceo Teague, our player who delivered yesterday, brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. Before we get out of here, I saw this over the weekend. And it's interesting, to say the least. The Ravens are proposing a a rule change at the uh, virtual owners meeting later this month. Okay, This is according to uh, Pro Football Talk and other sources. And it's a rule change for overtime. And it's being referred to as spot and choose which would basically have one team select where to spot the ball anywhere on the field to start overtime. And then the other team gets to pick whether they want to play offense or defense. So, for example, the I do believe this proposal is there's still a coin toss. And whoever wins the coin toss determines whether they want to pick between spotting the ball or picking offense or defense. So let's just say the Ravens win the coin toss in overtime. And they want to spot the ball. And they choose to spot the ball at the 10-yard line. Meaning you have to go 90 yards to score. The opponent, let's say it's the Steelers, would then have to pick whether they want to start on offense at the 10 or play defense. It'll be a 10-minute overtime. Whoever It'll be sudden death. Whoever scores first wins. There'll be none of this as it is now. You know, well, if you score a touchdown, game's over. If you score a field goal, it keeps on going. There's a second proposal that will remove sudden death altogether. And they will play a seven-and-a-half-minute overtime Whatever the score is at the end of that seven and a half minutes, that's it. So whoever wins the overtime period wins the game. If it's still tied, then it ends in a tie. I don't know. I don't know where I stand on that. I don't know how I feel about that. So if you win the toss, you can put the ball anywhere on the field. But you don't get to pick who's on offense and who's on defense. I could look. If I'm honest, I like the second proposal better. And I've said this before, except I said it with 10 minutes. A a game is tied. You go into OT. You play a 10-minute overtime period. No sudden death. You just play 10 more minutes. And whoever's winning at the end of the 10 minutes wins the game. If it's still tied, then it ends in a tie. None of this sudden death crap, none of this stuff being determined by a coin flip. This second proposal says, all right, make it seven and a half minutes. Which, is that really enough time? You might get a possession each in seven and a half minutes. 
But the spot and choose, I mean, boy, a lot would go into that, wouldn't it? Right? Like You feel better about your offense. You feel better about your defense. The other team's offense and defense, weather conditions, where to spot the ball if it's windy, if it's rainy, if it's sn- I don't know. Interesting, to say the least. Maybe we'll talk about this tomorrow. Maybe we'll table this for tomorrow, since I started talking about it so late in the show, like a, a knucklehead. And we'll get more into it. Like some of the, the pros and cons of the spot and choose proposal. And according to the sources, this is all John Harbaugh and the Ravens. This is their baby. They, they're kind of spearheading the effort here for this spot and choose. A coin toss, by the way, uh, a 50, if you win the coin toss in overtime, the way it stands right now, you have a 58% chance of winning the game. That's not, to me, that's not good. You want even odds heading into overtime. You want each team to have an equal chance of winning the game. The way it's currently, look, the NFL has tweaked overtime over and over and over again, trying to figure out the best way to do it. When you look at the stat, that 58% of the coin toss winners wins, that's not that's not even. That's why I even like college overtime better because at least each team gets a chance to possess the ball and play defense. And as one guy on Twitter says, if you have kids, you know the if you have kids, you know the only fair way to split a piece of cake. One kid cuts the piece, the other one chooses. Bigger, more frosting, <laughs> only fair way, spot and choose. I don't know. I have to give it some more thought. We'll definitely talk about it more tomorrow. And I, w- I definitely want to get your opinions on it tomorrow. Maybe we'll make that tomorrow's uh, daily Twitter poll. The spot and choose proposal by the Ravens for overtime. Don't forget, tonight, got some college hoops here uh, on this station. The Southern Conference title game between top-seeded UNC Greensboro and and the seven seed, Mercer. The Bears upset the number two seed, Wofford, last week. So UNC Greensboro or Mercer, you would have to think Greensboro is favored, right? They're the top seed. The winner, the SoCon title game, punches their ticket to the big dance. Uh, pre-game starts at 6.45 tonight. Don't miss it. All right. Show's done. Thank you for listening. I appreciate you as always. Enjoy the rest of your day. Be safe. We'll see you back here tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. sharp. This is the Morning Rush. I am Tony C. And I am done. Ah, see ya.